Good morning. And happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, today is a day when we celebrate our fathers, right? Here at church, we also honor all the men that take part in raising and helping to shape our children here. You know, we know that sometimes it takes, uh, it really does take a community to raise a child. You know, for myself, I can remember, you know, several, uh, you know, male role models that I had within the church and outside of the church that really helped to uh, kind of influence, guide, and shape me throughout my years. This week, um, you know, I, I had a couple phrases um, that were sticking in my mind. One of them was, along the way, and, uh, and yesterday and today, that kind of went uh, along the way. And, and the thing that really struck me is that life is happening in this moment. We had a, a memorial service here on Thursday, and uh, one of the testimonies I heard was talking about, um, you know, when you're dealing with Alzheimer's, that sometimes, you know, those things, they're so quickly forgotten, right? You have a, uh, an experience, a moment, a time, and then it's forgotten. But in that moment, in that moment, everything is, is clear. And for that person, or, or not, I shouldn't say clear, but in, for that person, when you're uh, with someone with Alzheimer's, then what you have is truly that moment. And it was just this reminder that life is happening in this moment. Because I think we're, we're thinking about what are we can have for lunch today? You know, how good are those hot dogs and nachos actually going to be? Or, or, you know, if they're not, where am I going to go after that? Or, you know, whatever. What's for dinner? Uh, is it steak? Or are we getting tacos? Or, you know, what's happening? But life is happening right now in this moment. I also realize that Father's Day can be hard for some of us. Maybe our fathers were not the men that we had hoped they would be. Maybe there's pain because we've lost them, and, and today reminds us of their absence. You know, I'm there. I'm right there with you. As a father of two amazing children, I'm filled with joy, and I'm reminded of, of how, you know, truly unqualified I am, and yet God has entrusted these young lives to me. He's given me this, this amazing and awesome burden to help, to guide, and and to direct them through life. But I'm also filled with some mixed emotions uh, because, uh, you know, this, uh, this last May, 15 years ago, I said final goodbyes to, to my earthly father. And, um, and you know, I was, I was thinking about that. Some years I, I really miss him, and, and other years, to be honest, it's, it's really a struggle to just to keep his memory alive because life just keeps going on, right? Well, yesterday I, I was able to spend um, kind of an extended uh, period of time in, in remembrance and, and just uh, thinking about him. And, and uh, if, you, if you knew my father, you know he was, uh, he was a little bit of a teacher, a speaker, uh, a writer, among other things. And, and over the years, he, he did his best to, to kind of journal. And, um, and he, you know, he was a computer guy, so he, he did that all. Um, you know, on his computer, and um, and he left that to us before he passed. And uh, so, really, I mean, just a, a tremendous blessing to be able to 
to go through that sometimes. And I, I have a PDF version. And so yesterday, as I was thinking about Father's Day and reflecting about my own father, um, in, that, in that document, I put my name in there and I searched. And there was some 200-something entries or something and, and whatever it was. And I would just go to each one. And um, it was really interesting to see, you know, what he was writing about. Most of the entries I found with my name were uh, either talking about how I, I Philip continues to be a challenge, um, <laughs> how well I played in my uh, you know basketball game, or or how many fish I caught, and we're a fishing family, so uh, he would list each each uh, family member what they caught, how many inches, and uh, you know, and, and some of those things. It, it was really amazing to me how some of those instances I could remember them so clearly. And others, I totally don't remember at all. Even he would mention, oh, I had to take Philip and, you know, these two other guys that are his good friends to this place. And I'm like, I don't remember that guy <laughs> at all. You know, like, I mean, he's supposed to be one of my friends, you know. So it was just interesting reading that. But the thing that really struck me, what, you know, were his thoughts about life, about parenting, struggling to guide me through my my kind of troubled and, and rough uh, teenage years and and also being able to read some of the major struggles and things he was wrestling with at work and things that were kind of behind the scenes that, that we never knew about as kids. And I was really just um, kind of the thing I was drawn to yesterday was he had this really, you know, he had this awareness about how he moved through life, how he was dealing with uh, just really juggling the unimportant things and the things that really matter to him. He wrote about how limited time is, how aware he was of this awesome burden to, to raise children. I have two brothers and one sister, so four kids I can't even imagine. And through that all, to, to remain focused and intentional in, in what he was trying to do. September 19th, 1994, at 10.47 p.m., uh, he, he wrote this entry. And one of the things that kept coming up was, was just things that waste time. And, and he was writing that even with all this modern technology, the disciplines are tough. I spent most of the evening watching TV, Monday Night Football. It was a good game, but it went into overtime. And then it's so easy to sit and look for another program to watch. Before you know it, an evening that you had plans for has been eaten up by entertainment with no lasting value. Most likely, it won't even be remembered tomorrow. The toughest battles are often to do the simple things. Why should it seem like such a momentous task to switch a TV off? I guess there's a small victory in my sitting here right now. Remember, this is 10.47 p.m., having reached the conclusion that as entertaining as it might be, it is not the best use of my time. So I did get up and walk out in the middle of a program. There needs to be a determination to act and the building of new habits. So often my behavior is driven by habit rather than conscious, intentional choice. And patterns are so difficult to break. It's difficult, at least for me, to live an intentional life. And that television is so powerful. I had long ago come to the conclusion that the TV news is biased towards sensationalizing everything they can, 
more entertainment than journalism, that nothing they're going to tell me is going to affect my life dramatically before tomorrow morning. And that is, therefore, that it's better to wait and read the morning paper. But still, I feel an almost compelling need to watch the evening news. It's so easy to make a half hour to watch the news, yet so difficult to spend the same time in prayer. Is it the unfamiliar? Am I just so used to being entertained that I cannot engage in a more active pursuit? There is indeed a great spiritual battle being waged all around me and within me, and I fear that I am losing most of the engagements surrounding without a, uh, surrendering without a fight. Life is happening in this moment. You know, whether we realize it or not, life is happening right now. We often think about the past or look forward to the future. We make plans. We set schedules. We create strategies to get us to where we want to be. But life is still happening in this moment. And as I think about Father's Day and we look to our study of Luke, this whole year we are continuing through the book of Luke, I'm really struck at how awesome a father God truly is, how he cares so deeply for us and gives us guidance and direction and kind of like my father left some of his words with me and, and my siblings, and God has left us with, with his word, and that we're able to follow along with that and to hear his heart and, and see you know, how he engaged and, and went through his life here. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me in Luke 10. Uh, last week, Pastor Toby introduced us to the chapter, and, uh, and we heard about the 70... Uh, the 70 that he sent out for ministry and they had gone out and been successful and, and coming back and, and returning and, and you know, really thinking about you know, what is real joy and, and how God has, has often even hidden some of these, uh, these spiritual truths and, and really saved them. He saved them for, for us that as we follow him that these things open up to us. But in this place where, where we, uh, we pick up is in verse 25. And verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So in this time, we had the Jewish people, and they were under Roman rule. right? So the Romans ruled the land. Their laws were the laws that they would abide by. But the Jews also had laws. And the thing is, is that their laws were not you know, legally enforceable un unless they were kind of, you know, within the Roman law. So I'll give you an example. Within the Jewish law and the culture, adultery is a capital crime, right? So that's something that, that if you were caught committing adultery, they could stone you, right? They, they would, uh, you know, that was the penalty. Death was the penalty for that sin. But under Roman law, it's... They had they had temples that were open that you could go and just uh, you know randomly go and, and have sex and that was a form of worship to some gods. So you can imagine that that if they as a community said okay this person's been caught in adultery and someone just kills them under Roman law well that person just committed murder, <laughs> right? And so they had people that that would kind of. Uh, help go between. They had these these experts 
in the law that were experts in Roman law, experts in Jewish law, and they would find the places where they crossed over so they would have a legal case that, okay, this person committed adultery, what were the circumstances surrounding that? What, you know, what happened? Where can we find where that crossed? Where we can have legal grounds to, to punish them as a community. And so this expert in the law came. He stood up to Jesus. And Luke tells us he stood up to test Jesus. So I imagine he's here and, and trying to get Jesus to say something, trying to get him to uh, kind of entrap himself in something. At this time, we, we know that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they had already made up their mind about Jesus, and they're trying to get rid of him, right? So verse 25, continuing, it says, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds to him, it says, what is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? The expert in law, he answered, saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So this man that came to test Jesus, he asked Jesus, Okay, teacher, tell me, what do I need to do to be righteous, to, to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do according to you. And Jesus, as he often does, he kind of turns that around on the man and says, kind of, what do you think? <laughs> you're, you're the expert, right? What do you think? And so the man looks at Scripture, and he summarizes the law in saying, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, with everything you have. Love the Lord your God. And then after that, love your neighbor or love other humans as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You're the expert. You're right. Go and do that. But the man's not satisfied, right? He's like, okay, that, that didn't work. Let's, let's continue. And so in 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In that time, when, when they talked about, you know, who is my neighbor or, or who is your fellow man or who is others, you know, when we talk about people, who are, if he says, hey, be good to people, be nice to people, right? When we tell our kids, you should be nice to people, right? It was kind of an understanding that that meant other people like us, like our people, right? And so he asked this question and, and saying, okay, well, who's our neighbor? And in reply, instead of just saying, Jesus just saying, well, everybody's your neighbor, he tells them a story, right? He answers with a parable. And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds 
pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, this is a, this is a powerful story. This is a powerful answer that Jesus gives this man. When we look at the details, you know, it's, it's something that, that maybe we don't directly relate with because, uh, you know, how does this translate into to our life? And I think, of, I think of, well, these guys are going down a main highway, you know? And I am often, when I'm driving down on the freeway or something, I, I see people on the side of the road. I see cars that are pulled over. Maybe they have a flat tire. Maybe they have different things. And I just think, oh, they're fine. Cell phones. They're calling AAA. You know, something. Someone's going to come. You know, they'll be okay. But I think this example is a little bit different because this man that, that is on the road, his condition is described as someone that, you know, he's near death. He's, he's really been beat down. His life is in danger. And so I imagine more, like if you were driving down the freeway, and I've actually seen this, and, I, and, I, and I've, I've stopped, but others stopped too, so you know, they were able to help. But I've seen you know, guys get hit on motorcycles and, and slide you know, several feet and you know, things like that. So that's what I think of. is like you see someone that is, is really, really in danger. The examples that Jesus gives him is a priest and a Levite, right? These are men that are traveling down the same road. And the priest, I think we can understand that. You can think of, you know, maybe a pastor or, or someone that is, uh, you know, he's a religious leader. He's, uh, he's someone that is respected. And he's probably going somewhere important to do something that he's supposed to do. Maybe he's supposed to lead uh, you know, church service. Maybe he's on his way to, to give the message. Maybe he is, is leading an important meeting at the synagogue, right? He has something good that he's going to do, that he's heading towards. And yet there's this man on the road that's along the way, right? If he stops and helps that man, that's a good thing. If he goes and, and he he, he continues on with whatever he needs to do. He's probably doing a good thing. So he's, he's stuck with his choice of, do I do this thing or do I do that thing? But I don't think he even realizes that. I don't think he even considers it. He just goes to the other side of the road, continues on, because his mind is set on what he has ahead of him and wherever he's headed towards, right? The Levite was also someone who would have been a leader, someone that was respected. He probably is in the same kind of situation that he's headed towards something good to do, some type of ministry, some type of function, something that would be looked upon as, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing a great service. Right? These were men that in their communities, they were seen as holy, as righteous, as people that others wanted to be like. And yet, 
they totally ignore. They choose to leave the man dying on the side of the road. And who helps them? The Samaritan. If you've been with us, then, then you know that, that there is bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans are, are Jews that mixed with, with others that had, had conquered them. And, and so the, the purebred Jews saw them as, oh, you know, they're, they're different. They're, they're not like us. And so they persecuted them. And, and, of course, no one likes that. So it went back the other way. And, and so Samaritans and Jews really, really do not like each other. So much that when Jesus asked the man, okay, who do you think was right in this situation? The expert in the law doesn't even say, well, the Samaritan man, right? He says, the one who had mercy. And so through this example, again, he he leaves it to the expert. Will you answer the question? Who is your neighbor? Who is the one that, that was in the right? And he kind of mentions, okay, it was the one that had mercy, the Samaritan man, our, our, my enemy even. But when you cover that spectrum from the already kind of known thought of like, who is my neighbor? It's, it's others like me. It's my people. It's my friends, my family, people that are nice to me onto the other way of my enemy, people that I hate, that, that I wouldn't feel bad doing something against. And that's the person who is in the right. That's the person that I should be like. That's the person that I should follow. Then you cover the whole spectrum, and, and he's answering saying, everyone is my neighbor. Right? And so life is happening in this moment. We also have many of those moments when, when we're given, uh, you know, choices of, you know, doing one good thing or another good thing. And, uh, and I think that, that sometimes it's less clear than if a man is dying on the side of the road, right? And so with that, I, you know, that's, that just is even more, you know, just like, hey, we have to stay connected to the Lord. Just as Jesus' example was that he did what his father was, was guiding him to do, directing him to do, telling him to do. That we also, when we have those choices, we need to consider, okay, Lord, do you want me to stop? Do you want me to do this? Or do you want me to go? Do you want me to do that? And through prayer, be settled, be at peace in, in what we go forward and do. Continuing on in verse 38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening, uh, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This is something that maybe some of you can relate to, right? There's some emotions in there that that we can kind of relate to. Um, And I I think like when we think about the situation, it's, it's like Martha is, is quickly painted as, oh, she's the wrong person, 
right? She's the one that, that was in the wrong, right? But kind of like that previous situation, she was doing something good. I mean, think about it. This is a culture where hospitality is, is so important, right? I mentioned that in the beginning of chapter 10, uh, the 70 had come back, right? And, you know, so I just imagine, okay, Jesus, he's got a crowd usually. There's a lot of people here. There may have been a lot of their friends and ministry partners, and, and they're all here at the house. And when people come over, you got to take care of them, right? You can't just say, hey, everyone, how's it going? And just, you know, do nothing, right? They would have said, what's wrong with Martha? What a bad host. You know, how rude, right? That would have been seen as, oh, that's, that's bad. That's not good. And so Martha is really, I think, doing something good. She's doing something right that she should be doing that we would think, oh, yeah, she's doing a good thing. But we see that Jesus rebukes her, saying, no, Martha, you missed it. And here's the thing. When Jesus talks to Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. In some other accounts or translations, it even, Jesus even mentions, you're anxious about many things. You're worried about many things. You're concerned about all these other things. And when we look at that, that actually gives us a, a, a look into her attitude, her heart. And we can do so many good things with the wrong heart, right? We can do so many, we can be busy doing great things with the wrong heart. When I think about Father's Day and as I've talked to people over the years and, and even some of my friends that are, are very busy and, and you guys can probably finish the sentence, but when you talk to someone who is never at home, who is always at work, who is, who is busy, and you ask them, why are you always gone? Why are you always working? Why are you, you know, so busy? And they'll probably tell you why I'm doing this for my family. Right? I'm doing this for my kids. Or I'm doing this for their future. I'm doing this for them. Right? But when you ask the children, my dad was never there. You know? I don't have a relationship with him. I don't talk to him because, you know, I, I never knew him. He was always gone. And that insight into that attitude and that, into that thinking is really, I think, in honesty, it's, it's selfishness. It's I don't want to deal with it or, or that's my excuse, right? It's even the feeling of I'm okay, I'm okay because look at me, I'm doing good things. I'm busy doing what I'm supposed to be doing, providing for the family, volunteering at church or or, you know, leading this group or that group or, you know, whatever it is. And so we miss that opportunity. We miss that important thing that in this case, Jesus says, well, that thing that you missed was this opportunity to, to be with me. Because remember, his time 
His time is going. He's on the road. He's on the way towards crucifixion. And so now in this place, that window is short. That opportunity to spend sitting at the feet of Jesus, growing that relationship, is is shortening. And so I think Jesus says, Martha, look at your heart. Why are you doing all these things? Why are you so busy? Why are you preoccupied? Why are you angry even now that in judgment you look at your sister? And it says, in this time, it's better for you to to spend with me. After after I was an an adult, at least in this timeline, as, as I was reading through um, my dad's journal. He's talking about a, a night when, when you know, and, and at this point our relationship has been kind of strained, but, but it's, it's kind of being rebuilt. And, um, you know, he would mention in, in his entries, you know, Phil feels close right now. I don't want to lose that. Or, or you know, he, you know well, he's irrational, he's immature, this and that, you know, whatever. But, but in this time, it's like I'm, I'm an adult now, and I guess he was watching TV with, with one of my younger brothers, and he, and he says, while we were watching, Philip came in, watched for a while, then left. It makes me wonder if he had come over to talk. He usually doesn't come otherwise. He still feels very fragile to me, always on the edge of sliding back into his own patterns. I guess that's true for all of us. I have to keep reminding myself that it's not realistic realistic to think there will be an instant, instantaneous, complete change. And when I stop and think about how much he has changed in a relatively short period of time, I'm really thankful. I guess there's also fear ever within me that we'll lose all that we've gained so far. How I long to feel that he's safely and solidly launched in his life. Parenting is really a long-term task, one that I wasn't in any way prepared for. I think I'm just now really beginning to adjust, beginning to understand the scope of the task and to see the little slice I live day by day with the context of the whole. I say beginning because I know there is much more yet, even with Philip. It's hard enough to accept others for who they are, much harder with one's own children. How I need to remember that they are God's far more and long before they became mine. My task is not to be their creator, but rather their guide. One to protect and nurture, to love, teach, discipline when needed. But it is God who has made each one who he or she is, just as he made me. It is my privilege to love them and to know them in the special way that I do, far more of a blessing than I often realize. And so this Father's Day, I, I, I want to leave you with that thought, that, that realization that we all have things to do. We all have goals. We all have distractions. We all have hopes. I hope we all have dreams as well. And, and in the middle of that, life is happening in this moment. 
And whether we have children of our own or we are just here active in the community, there's young ones before us. There's opportunities that we have to help guide them, to direct them, to encourage them, to build them up. And that's a blessing. That's an honor that we have. So today on Father's Day, as, as you consider maybe your own fathers or, or the type of father that you are, that you aspire to be or continue to be, or as you think about you know, how you can help to raise this next generation, I just want to remind you to, to take time to remember that, that each moment we have, like that's life happening right there. And to move forward from this place on, you know, just being aware of those opportunities. I won't take your time, but some of the greatest times that I've had were when I was interrupted on the way to something else. And I just said, yes, Lord, I'm here. You want me to talk to this person? You want me to to go do this thing? Okay, I'm here. You know what? But I think of how many other moments that I, I probably missed because I just ah, I'm too busy. I'm on the way to do something else, maybe something else that's good. If you guys want to look, uh, we have a weekly challenge. You can take a picture with your phone or I'll send it out to you if you're on our email list. If you're not and you'd like to be, please take one of the cards from the seat in front of you and, and you can give it to me or one of the ushers afterwards. Uh, I'll get you on that email. But um, you know, every week if we hear the scripture but we don't allow it to, to sink into our life and to move us toward action, then, then really what's the point? Or no peace. Read Luke 10, 25 to 42. Take time to explore how God is speaking to you through this passage. It's alive and, and I really find it's amazing when you sit down in a group and say, Hey, what do you guys hear? What you know, what how is God speaking to you through the scripture? Everyone has a different thing. So how is God speaking to you? Grow. Ask yourself, what are the most important things in life? If you just think, what are important things? Is it relationships? Is it my family? Is it uh, my career? Whatever it is, what are the most important things in your life or in life in general? And do you feel like you're focused on those things? I would add even mental note of, you know, are those things in line with with what the Bible says or what God would put before you to, to be striving after? And then overflow. What is something you need to adjust in your life? You know, maybe it's the way you spend time. Like my dad was wrestling with, with TV in the, in the nighttime. I uh, just wanted to veg out, you know, or, or who you give your attention to. How is that time being spent? Make an effort to intentionally pursue the things you know are most important in life. And for me, that's often, you know, I just realizing, wow, I, I need to, not just give time, but intentional, intentional time, you know, to my children, to my family, to those that I love. Um, team, you guys can come back up and why don't you join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word and, and how you have, have left us such a clear, clear picture of who you are. that you've left us with your thoughts, with your heart, with your desires, that we have full and, and, and uh, 
just easy access to your words. Lord, help us to not take that for granted. Help us to not take advantage of, of this, uh, this great blessing that you've left us with in your word. And Lord God, as, as, we, uh, as we have looked into this, this 10th chapter of Luke and, and we see how Jesus, you interacted with this expert in the law, how you answered him, how you guided and directed Martha and, and, and looked into her heart. Lord, let us be reminded, let us be reminded that we're your people, that we're called for your purpose. And God, we thank you for, we thank you for all our fathers here, for the grandfathers, Lord, maybe even great-grandfathers. Lord, we thank you for all the men here that have taken it as their duty, their responsibility to, to love on the next generation, to love on others, and to help to raise them up and grow them in the knowledge of who you are. So we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise, and together we say amen. stand for this last song. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me and know oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Through the Great.